So we got those handed out. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and uh, let's go to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 20. Um, as you're turning there, I do want to give you a couple of, of additional thoughts that uh, I did not have when we looked at last Sunday. We dealt with um, the judgment seat of Christ and what that is and who it's for and all that. I'm not going to rehearse all of it. But we had mentioned when does it, the event take place, and I had given you what is the common understanding. And I, I have since... Um, found and uh, able to apply uh, at least three passages of scripture that would back up that uh, that that event takes place after the rapture and you know during the time of the tribulation taking place how long of an event it is we don't know but um, but we have some uh, some excellent clues in God's word as to the time frame I did not give these to you uh, last Sunday night, but I want to give them to you now. Matthew 16 and verse number 27 says this, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. So that is not necessarily the coming to rule and reign, but the, he's the coming to catch his bride of way, in bride away, and uh, shall reward every man according to his works. Again, that is the service, not, not dealing with sin. Luke 14, 14 says, And thou shalt be blessed, uh, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. And so it, it, it is dealing, again, we, Brother Rick and I are talking about this. You've got to be careful of when you're talking about resurrections. Um, I don't have time to go into it tonight, but there's actually, uh, we'll see some of it in Revelation 20 tonight. But there's two different resurrections that are mentioned in the very end of all things. The resurrection of those uh, that were killed during the tribulation for their stand for Christ. It talks about that first resurrection of the tribulation time frame. But then it also deals with the second resurrection, which, which every single person that is brought into the, brought from the second resurrection, the Bible talks about how they will face the second death. So that is where we're talking about tonight, the great white throne judgment. Um, it is a second resurrection of all those from all time that have been waiting to have to stand before God in judgment for their sin. And uh, that is considered the, a, the second resurrection. We'll see that tonight. Uh, but in this talking about resurrection, um, there is some correspondence with uh, the rapture and resurrection, in other words, the catching out, the pulling out, especially with the dead, that, those that had died before will not be hindered. They will rise, they will be resurrected, um, and then we will meet them in the air. And, uh, and so don't get too confused on that. But Luke 14, 14 does support the recompense after there is a resurrection, a calling out of the just. And so uh, many, many preachers do believe that is dealing with the calling out of the church, those that have been made righteous in the blood of Jesus Christ in the church age. But Revelation twenty two twelve also talks about, and behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me uh, to give every man according to his work uh, shall be, as his work shall be. And so these are verses that can, um, in some cases, especially Revelation twenty two twelve. 
um, can deal with the I come quickly um, as in, in dealing with the resurrection. Hey, y'all be ready because all this that you've heard and all this that's going on, Christ saying, behold, I come quickly. Be ready. Well, what's that first half of his coming? It's the, it is uh, the rapture. Uh, behold, I'm coming. And when I come, that time, the church is being caught out. And then there will be seven years. And then there will be his second phase of his, of his coming when he actually plants foot on earth again to rule and reign after dealing with the uprising against him. And, uh, and so um, just some verses that do even Jesus himself taught, um, especially there with, with Revelation twenty two twelve. 12, uh, dealing with the time frame of all that you've seen, all that you've recognized, all that's happening. Hey, just keep in mind, behold, I come quickly. It's happening soon. And when I come, my reward is with me. So he's ready to hand out reward, hand out judgment. Jesus speaking of his coming, his reward is, is going to be handed out to every man according as his work shall be. So um, I, I believe those are... are um, Proper and decent verses using to, to support what is the common understanding of the, the judgment seat of Christ and that judgment of service being held after Christ pulls his church out. And, uh, and so, again, we're not going to go any further into all of that. What we do want to look at tonight is the second throne judgment being the, uh, the judgment, you might say it is the judgment to end all judgments. Uh, it is the final uh, act uh, of judgment that um, I believe with some uh, scriptural, with the basis and, and, and the pointing of things, uh, I believe at the time frame that we will, as God's people, those who have been redeemed, will witness. Uh, I'll show you some of that in just a minute. But in Revelation chapter 20, look with me um, in verse number 11. Uh, down, we'll read down to verse number 15. Revelation 20, verse 11, down to the end of the chapter. It says here, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Again, now this is dealing with judgment. This is dealing with God. Um, uh, I'll get to it more in a minute, but he, he lays out their deeds. May I say, those who reject Christ reject Christ believing that their works will somehow earn them something. Their way somehow justifies them. Their view of things and how they feel about it somehow, somehow qualifies that God will, uh, will give them forgiveness when, he, when they stand before, before him. And so there are books and there is a book that is open. The books will be the works and the deeds of man that I believe, me personally, I believe that they felt would earn them forgiveness. Let's go ahead and go over all that you thought 
you were really good at. And all the good things and the good deeds and the good ways. Let's go ahead and open up the book of your actions. The book of your lives. And all these books are opened and all these things are brought forth. I believe what you might find with that is those would be the books containing the actions and sins of a lost group of mankind. And so as they have the books open, verse number 13 says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And verse number 14 and 15 kind of finalize the entire aspect of what takes place. Uh, This is when uh, death and hell, uh, no longer do you have hell referenced to, now it is going to become the final eternal place of punishment, which is in the Bible, the lake of fire. He says, and death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. Go all the way back to Romans. Go all the way back into other passages of scripture where it talked about the second death. Um, And and this is what it's talking about. It is the time frame when all things deserving of punishment must be cast into eternal punishment, never to be changed. It is the sentencing, not it is judgment, it is what we call the great white throne judgment. But honestly, it is just the proof that these individuals who rejected God, rejected his son Christ, this is the proof that their works are nothing, that their ways did nothing, and that in the end, there is a finality that will never be changed. Eternal sentencing is about to take place. Death and hell are cast in the lake of fire. Uh, by the way, uh, at this point, Satan and all, all of his imps, all of his demons, they've already been cast. All right? We see that maybe in a minute. But death and hell themselves are cast in the lake of fire. And then it says, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. So let me, let me pray, and then we're, we're gonna, I'm going to give you just a few thoughts that we have on the great white throne. There's not a lot talked about in multiple different passages. Really, Revelation is where you see uh, everything that we need to understand concerning this time frame. I believe it's right here contained in, in these passages. And we're going to look at uh, the, who is this for, and which we've already said some of this, but who is it for, when does the event happen, and what takes place at this event uh, based off of what we read here in the book of Revelation. So let's, um, let's, let's pray, and then we'll ask the Lord to, to help us, and we'll get into this last little bit. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for tonight. We pray that you would give us clarity, Lord, and, and direction as we look at these final thoughts. Would you help us to understand the event that is to come, Lord, and what it holds for the lost, but also... Lord, I believe uh, what it holds for us as well as, uh, Lord, we we do give account for those that we were to witness to. Now, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you give us clarity as we look at these things and help us to see the serious reality of eternity as we look at this last and final time of sentencing and judgment on the world. And Lord, just uh, again, we 
pray that you get the honor and glory through all that we look at. May your people be more uh, knowledgeable and understanding what you gave us to know. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. And so as we look at this, um, let me just, I'm just going to jump in. We're just going to hit these things and, and move right along very quickly. Revelation 20, look at verse number 12 through verse number 13. Who is this event for? Well, ultimately, it's for the unbelievers of every age, of every time frame of history. Uh, it is for every unbeliever. Um, the, as you look at Revelation 20, verse 12 and 13, it says, And I saw the dead, small and great. That, it, that's not dealing with size. Okay? It's not dealing with those who didn't get much to eat and those who ate too much. No, it's small and great. Does it matter if they were little in, in, in the world's eyes or they were head honchos? The dead, small and great. And uh, it says, I saw them stand before God and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. That being the land, that's not the book of the living. We talked about those two different things. The book of the living, God's book of the living, those that are alive, there's the Lamb's book of life. That's the account of those that are saved. And, um, and so two different books. This is talking about the Lamb's book of life. It says, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. Now, what I want you to understand is we're, it's dealing with every aspect of where anybody would be that is lost, okay? Those that, um, that were uh, through the time frame of the tribulation, then through the time frame of, of the thousand-year reign, and it, I, I was rereading today and looking when Satan is loosed for one last uh, rally to gather it says that he gathers from all over the earth and he gathers a number that cannot even be counted like the, like the sands of the sea. You're talking about millions upon even possibly by within a thousand years. You're talking about the possibility of billions of people that will go through a thousand year perfect ruling and reigning and they'll go through it with, with a, uh, um, they oblige the leader and, and they follow through with, with head knowledge of who's in control, but no heart knowledge of following him through desire. There is going to be a world full of people just anxious for somebody to step up and lead them to overthrow and kick God out of the throne. How sad. A thousand years of a, finally, in all the world, finally, a perfect leader. Finally, somebody who does not take the leadership and go to their own head and promote themselves and turn it into communism or whatever it is and, and stomp on the little guy while raising him. Finally, somebody who actually leads through compassion and love and justice and holiness and purity. I mean, he doesn't make a wrong decision. He doesn't make a wrong judgment. I mean, he, he, he doesn't favor one person over the next. I mean, a thousand years of not having to worry about who's in control and what are they going to do next. And after a thousand years, they're hankering for somebody to lead them in revolt so they can overthrow them. What a wicked people. 
It must be, even after a thousand years of a kingdom with a perfect ruler. And so, all, all that's going to take place. You have all these people, and we know that it's dealing with the, the, the individuals from all ages, from all times, because death and hell, hell gives up those that are in it. What is hell? I'll give you this. I like to say it just for the fun of it. Uh, hell, as far as a whole, is honestly the closest thing to, uh, to, to helping the Catholics be right about purgatory. Y'all hold on with me. Here's where I'm going with that. I'd say it just, just to rub the cat the wrong way, okay? No, purgatory does not exist. But what is, what is purgatory supposed to be? What, what do they it's a holding tank. It's a holding tank that you got to somehow, somebody's got to pay enough money, light enough candles, do enough prayers, and pray you out of it, right? Well, what is hell? As a whole, hell is a place of torment. It is a place of punishment, but it's not the final place of punishment and torment. It truly is the jail cell. It's the holding tank. Because there's coming a day when, as the Bible describes it right here in Revelation 20, that hell is going to give up all that it's in it. And by the way, people say, when you, when, if you die and go to hell, you'll never, ever stop feeling the pain of punishment. Actually, that's wrong. Because hell is not the final place of punishment. There is a very small reprieve. And it's right here. But it's not much of a reprieve. Because you might be leaving the torment of flame and the torment where the, where the worm dieth not. All these things, by the way, the lake of fire has the same. But hell is a small taste of what's coming for eternity with only one break in between. And during that break, you stand before the judge of all creation, you stand before a holy God and you stand there and all the things that a lost individual was hoping would earn them something with God gets brought before them and gets utterly destroyed. And then ultimately, after losing all, if, if any of them were hoping, if any of them at that point are still hoping, well, maybe there's a chance I did enough good that after this time of torment, I've earned that final peace and God will finally see my good and weigh it out with my bad and see what I've already suffered. And maybe he'll go ahead and forgive me and let me in because in my life, I was a pretty good person. I don't know. Maybe there are some. Maybe. I'm not saying there are. I'm just throwing out there. Maybe there are some that will hope that maybe, possibly, they will have a chance. But if there is, as soon as everything begins to be displayed and all the records begin to be spoken, they'll find out as they stand before a holy God, they will find out if there is anybody thinking there's a slight hope, they'll find out there is no hope. Because all that is to destroy man's idea of how they can do it. But what really seals the fate is what happens at the very end. Now, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. 
Let me, let's look at this of when the event takes place. It's very clear it does happen after the millennial reign. Um, Revelation 20, look at verse number 5. Uh, verse number 4, you can, you can read verse 1 through verse number 4. Matter of fact, I really like, I'm going to back up. Verse number 1, because this is the, this, verse number 1 and verse number 2 and verse number 3 are, for the child of God, should be shouting ground. Y'all ready? And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having a key of the bottomless pit and a cha- great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil. I, I love the way God worded it. And Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, Till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. So that right there tells you he's, he is sealed up, chained up for a thousand years, until after the millennial reign he is loosed for a very short period. Verse number four talks about, I'm not going to read it, but talks about uh, that he saw thrones and them that sat on them. It talks about those who died during the, during the tribulation and great tribulation that were killed for their faith, killed for following God. And it talks about how they themselves will live and reign with Christ a thousand years. Once again, the millennium kingdom, those that were martyrs in the time of tribulation and great tribulation are, are written to, uh, to live and reign with Christ. Verse number five says, but the rest of the dead, well, what's the rest of the dead? Those that were not of God, that died, lost. The rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. So those that were raised and those that, that uh, are able to reign with Christ, it says this is the first resurrection of that end time, okay? It's the first resurrection. What is the second? When those that were dead without Christ and all those that hell contains and all those that have died throughout the ages... Without Christ, are raised to stand before God in final sentence. And that is the second resurrection, and they will taste of the second death. If you look at um, uh, verse number 17, uh, hold on a second. Uh, second uh, look at, uh, oh, no, I'm in the wrong place. Hold on, hold on. 7 through 10, verse 7. It says, and when the thousand years are expired, so now, now here's the end of the thousand years. When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four quarters of the earth. Now get this, all four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. That, again, man, that's sad. All these people at the end of a thousand year reign, and there will be so many, it's as the number of the sand of the sea. It must be billions of people. Satan is loose for a short time, and it doesn't take him any time at all. And he gathers him an army you can't count. Out of those who have been under the leadership of a holy God. Man. 
It says, and they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Again, they, they, they don't stand a chance. And the devil, uh, this is another one of those shouting ground times, y'all ready? And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone. There is no debating it. There is no, are you good? Matter of fact, Bible says when he is, when he is cast from God's presence at the halfway point, uh, uh, I'm getting ahead of my, we're going to deal with this later, but the halfway point of the tribulation, he is kicked from God's presence and his angels. I personally think Satan goes before God with bodyguards because he and his angels are cast for the final time out of God's presence and forced to be bound to earth to do his wicked deed of deception on the people of earth at the midway point of the tribulation, and that is when you begin to see great tribulation. How does great tribulation come? Well, when the devil is literally on the earth and he is literally running the show right there face to face with everybody, yeah, great tribulation is there. And it gets hot, it gets heated, and devil, the devil does the best he can, but he is cast from God's presence. By the way, it says he will never again be able to enter into God's presence. He will not come before him. He cannot come and accuse the brethren. At that point when he is cast to earth and the great tribulation, the halfway period takes place of the tribulation time frame and he is cast out, he never can again come before God and make any accusation. He never can again come before God and say this or say that. Him and his angels, they are cast out. How do you know that? Because at this point, when Satan is loosed, where is he held for a thousand years? He's not allowed to roam around and be before God and accuse people. No, no. He is chained and bound in the bottomless pit and he is held there until he's released for a short period of time when he gathers that army and then he comes against God and then God sends fire from heaven consuming all those that came against him and immediately, verse number 10, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and Ever. He does not go before God again. He does not have any, any words to say again. There's nothing he can claim again. He has no accusations to make anymore. When this happens, God destroys those that follow him. They all die. And then he grabs him and kicks him out for all eternity. And there's no if, ands, or buts about it. Your mouth is shut. You're done. You're sealed to your doom. And he does not stand before God. He does not speak before God. He does nothing but get, get kicked out into the, uh, the, the uh, lake of fire and tormented day and night forever and ever. And may I say, amen. amen. Let him have it, Lord. <laughs> I personally think there's going to be um, uh, that. I'm not really big on the hoppers. Uh, the singing group, but they sang a song, Shouting Time in Heaven. I think there might be a shouting time in heaven right then. Start shouting because, my, man, I say, that is the final victory. And there, there is no doubt as to who wins on that one. But after that is where you end up with verse number 12, I saw the dead, small and great. So you're dealing with those that just died. 
through that rising up against God, you're dealing with those that died at the Battle of Armageddon at the, at, at the, the end of the, of the tribulation period. You're dealing with those that have died throughout all the centuries of earth. All those that have died in rebellion and rejection against God, they then come before at, at this time. It's all over. It's said and done. Now, be careful. There is not a new heaven yet. There is not a new earth yet. And tears have not been wiped away yet. They all come in judgment. Thousand year reign is over. The rise to try to overthrow God is over. Satan is kicked out and thrown into the lake of fire and he's never going to get out again. He is as doomed and tormented and punished as anybody that has followed his way. He's not ruling the lake of fire. He's not king of anything. He is just like everyone else. He is a punished and tormented individual for all eternity. But now comes the great white throne judgment. He's out of the picture. That's over with. But now everyone that has ever followed his leading and listened to his lies and rejected God, they are all now gathered at what the Bible calls a second resurrection of the dead of those that rejected Christ. And they will all face the second death. Why? Because the judgment as a whole has already been prescribed. It is now sentencing. They're going to stand, if you might want to put it this way, before God in God's courtroom. And all the evidence is going to be laid out. And just for sake of time, I've already dealt with a lot of this, but... It all the evidence laid out, all their life actions revealed to be nothing, all their goodness revealed to be nothing but filthy rags, everything about them that they thought they could use in God's presence to earn their way is shot down, and as a whole, there's ultimately one and only one final condemnation that it will be that everything will be based on. And that is Verse 14 and verse 15. And, the de- and death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And in combination with that second death, death and hell cast out. Hell is no longer an, a, a, a term being used. Now it's the lake of fire only. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And may I say... Every single person that's brought before this judgment is facing that lake of fire. Because every single one brought in before the great white throne judgment. I, I was reading somebody just recently, uh, today actually, I was looking at some other verses and some other um, people, the way they were wording some things. I, I love to glean from, from different mindsets as long as they stay biblical. But... I was reading, this guy was a nutcase. I'm talking about, he, I, I thought it was going to be good material. As I was reading down, I'm like, what in the world? Where in the world? He was actually teaching that this, this whole judgment time frame is actually a very, 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 very long time where people, all the books are going to be open. And those are the books of the Bible. 
It's the books of the Bible. God's going to open up his Bible and he's going to read his Bible. And all these people that have been brought out are now going to have one final chance to know truth and actually follow truth. And if they follow truth during that time frame, then they will be judged as being righteous. And therefore, God will forgive them and they won't face the lake of fire. I'm like, what Bible you been reading, bud? The fact that the great white throne judgment, he even, he even attacks what he calls the Protestant and Catholic beliefs. He, he wraps us up in Protestants. That's a whole other issue. I've told you what I feel about that. We didn't protest anything. We were never part of it. But he goes through and he, he's pointing out, he's saying, no, this time is a very long time, many, 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 many years where people can prove to hear truth and actually respond to it. They got one more chance to hear it and respond. You mean, you mean after going to hell and realizing that all the things they were told is actually true, God's going to give them a chance to go ahead and change their mind? No, that's not in the Bible. So don't listen to that kind of junk. If you run across those people, um, put that stuff down and run away as fast as possible because they're heretics. This is a judgment that every single person, when they stand before God at this judgment, What must be done has already been prescribed. What is the end result of sin is already been prescribed. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And sin, when a man dies in his sin, he dies guilty of the punishment of sin. And so this event will be the final time frame. And I'm going to give you this and we're done. Just something to consider. I do stand in believing this according to things that we see, and I'll show this to you. But where where are the saved during this judgment? Where is the child of God? I cannot give you dogmatic biblical scripture that says we are right there, and as we witness, it doesn't say that, okay? So dogmatically, I cannot say scripture specifically says we are right there. But I'll I'll give you this, Revelation 21, the next chapter, verse 1 through 4. um, Listen to what happens as soon as those that that are finally condemned, it's done, it's final, it's permanent. The, The completion of the division of eternity has taken place. Those that are to be in God's presence are in his presence, and those that are to be cast in his presence have been cast. It's over. Then John says, and I saw, verse number 1 of 21, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And then verse 4, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are past Away. 
Here is just a logical conclusion. If tears are not wiped away until after the final sentencing of millions upon billions, if not trillions of people, if tears are not wiped away, pain is not gone, sorrow is not gone, crying is very real. If all those things are present, it means there must be something that breaks our heart to witness. But God is going to have to wipe away all tears. He's going to have to remove crying. He's going to have to completely eliminate sorrow. How could he do that if we could remember what we have witnessed and what we have seen? And what we experienced on earth, which means I believe he must wipe away all memory of what has taken place. New heaven and new earth. Why would he not make new minds? And fresh knowledge that doesn't apply to anything that would have been sorrowful. You say, how, how do we know there's going to be sorrow? Can y'all go with me to one passage of scripture and then we're done. Ezekiel 3. Go with me to Ezekiel 3. And this will be the end of it, okay? Ezekiel chapter 3. The Lord teaches in his word through the Old Testament a very specific truth that we need to be aware of. And I believe applies to all those who have truth and share it not. Now watch. In Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 18 through verse number 20. It says, uh, When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die. So who's he talking to? The wicked. He's talking to lost people. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Keep going. He repeats himself. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. You're not earning your, your salvation, but he's saying, you're not going to be held accountable for those whom you witnessed to and they rejected. If you did what I, I gave you to do, you had truth, you shared truth, then what they do with it is on them. But though, to those whom you had truth, you knew they needed truth, but you shared it not with them in warning to save their, may I say, eternal life, their eternal soul with truth. Their blood will require. Look at the last verse we're going to read, verse 20. Again, when uh, this gets a little more specific. When a righteous man... Well, there's none righteous, no, not one. Where is, who, who's that which is righteous? Those which are the child of God, those which are, have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, who have been made righteousness by his righteousness applied to my account. 
That's how God sees the saved, the child of God, righteous, not on our own merits, but on his righteousness applied. When a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, and I, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because thou hast not given him warning. He shall die in his sin and his righteousness which he ha- hath done shall not be remembered. No, 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 uh, uh, let, me, let me back up. Let me back up. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm mixing things up. I'm going to confuse you, okay? Y'all hold with me. His righteousness shall be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Okay, let me back up. I'm talking about the child of God not dealing with the righteousness with righteousness applied to us. In this one right here, in this verse number 20, I will strike that, reverse it. Okay, y'all ready? Here we go. Hoping not to confuse you. He's dealing with a righteous man in the eyes of man. Let's do it like that, okay? So when, God, when the righteous have been applied righteousness by God, it's permanent. We know that. But when man has been righteous in his own eyes, there are those who are outright wicked, right? And they need to be warned of their wickedness. But then there are those who, may, may we say, there are those that appear to be a Christian, I mean, you, you look at their life, you look, man, that is a good person. And what he's saying here, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness, in other words, he's been good, he's been great, he's done wonderful, but he, he turns from that which is right, he turns from that which, is, which he knows to do is right, and he commits iniquity. We're talking about somebody who never, who never did receive Christ as a Savior. That's my error and my correction Okay, he never did receive Christ as his savior. He's lived a good life, but he's not lived a life free from and forgiven of his sin. And he turns from his righteousness and maybe he goes and he does wickedly and he, he commits iniquity. God will lay a stumbling block before him and he shall die. But here's the thing. He's going to die in his iniquity. He's going to die guilty of his sin because it never was forgiven. And here's what he's saying. He might have been a good person. He might have lived a good life for the most of his life. He might have had a lot of good things going for him. But here's the thing. You know truth. And he says that he shall die in his sin and his righteousness, which he hath done, shall not be remembered. Okay, so let's go go over to the books that are opened. My righteousness. I was good. I was righteous. I I did great things. I, I even went to church. Oh, may I say, I even told others about Jesus. You know, there are people who are lost that have witnessed to people. And given them the gospel, and they themselves have never actually fully acted upon the gospel. Head knowledge, no heart knowledge. In the eyes of man, very righteous. In the eyes of man, surely that person's a, a Christian. But when, when it comes down to it, the Bible says, if you share not, his righteousness will not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. In other words, uh, you knew right... And just let me just give you this, and, and we're going to close, okay? Why is it that in a church like ours, we have a lot, a lot, most of the time, we had a lot of visitors this morning, but it is important that even if you think that everybody here surely is saved, why is it that it's important that we still give the gospel, that we sh- still share the truth, and we still give people an opportunity to respond to the gospel? Why is that? Because I might, it might appear to be righteousness to me, but only God knows the heart. And if I have the truth, but God, they were really good. I didn't know I had to share the truth with them. 
of God, they didn't appear to be a wicked person. They still died in their sin and guilty of their iniquity because their goodness is as filthy rags. And you had the truth and you did not share it with them. You failed to give the gospel. You failed to warn the wicked and even warn the good person. You failed to warn those that were around you with the truth that you knew and their blood will I require at your hand. May I say as a whole, just understand the, the reality of the great white throne judgment. The reality of it is whether, whether we do witness it or we don't witness it. Again, I don't have hard, hard, hard scriptural evidence to say absolutely dogmatically we are there and witness it. But it does appear as though there is a reason for us to grieve. It does appear as though there is a reason for us to have sorrow. What if it is that we have that person? And what if, what if in heaven when we are able to know a lot more than we know now, we're able to understand much more than we understand now. And we stand and we watch as someone that passes by and they come in judgment to stand before God. And instantly I know that that's required at my hands. That one's on me. We know. And we watch as a loved one. We watch as a neighbor. We watch as a co-worker. Uh, we, we watch as that person that, that we were supposed to go and, and knock that door, but I had other things to do and I didn't want to talk to him. Or that person we were nice to and God said, ask them if they know where they're going to spend eternity. And we argue with God because it's just not a good time right now to get into that discussion. And we stand before the possible opportunity to witness that person brought before the judge and him say, I never knew you. Depart from me. And we look and, and we know immediately, or better yet, ooh, this just hit me and I, I got to stop. What if it's like the way Peter felt? What if in that moment that the, the cop for the third time and that moment the eyes of Christ met the eyes of Peter and instantly Peter ran sorrowful what if in that moment God doesn't have to say a word but he can just look over and he looks right at me and then looks back and says depart from me I never knew you what if I'm standing there and I have to do nothing but weep because that one's on me. That one's my fault. That's another one where I failed. And God, because of the sorrow, the great sorrow, just four verses later has to wipe away all tears because we wouldn't be able to handle it. Just a thought. Just kind of a final conclusion after reading all that. It is possible that we will know. It is possible that we will witness. It is possible that we will understand each one 
whose blood is required at my hands. I don't want to be guilty. See, preacher, why do you bring all that to us? Why do you say all that? Because that is so depressing. No, what, it, what it's meant to be for every single one of us. I don't care how good of a person they are. I don't care how wicked of a person they are. It should challenge every single one of us. I must be faithful with the truth I've been entrusted. I don't care how good or how bad they are. It must be shared with everyone so that they have the choice to make for themselves. Great, great white throne judgment. It's going to happen. It's real. It will be the end of all things in judgment. Great things afterwards, but at that point, I believe a very sorrowful time for those of us that watch the eternal sentence that takes place. Heavenly Father, I, I, I pray that you would just help us